The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you are able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to ask this morning that you turn to two passages. Uh, one that we're going to focus on, and that's 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And that's 1 John 1, 5 through 10. And then one I would like to read now, Luke 18 and verse 9, if you'll turn there, please. And let me walk you through these few verses. Verse 9. He, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. You'll always see that. People who are saved by grace love communion with the saints. People who are saved and think they're saved by their works and delude themselves into thinking they're saved by works always treat others with contempt. Two men, two men were up in the, went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. And the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee would have been extolled. The tax collector would have been despised. The Pharisee, standing, this isn't unusual, by himself. You know, folks, we're saved personally, but we're saved to enjoy the communion of the saints. But when you think you personally save yourself, you don't need anybody else or the means of grace. He's standing by himself. He prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You can almost see him peeking out of his eye over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The problem isn't fasting and tithing. The problem was he thought his fasting and tithing was what was going to save him. But... The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, forgiven of sins, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Exalted. So what have you got? A tax collector, uh, the Pharisee, commending himself and his righteousness. A tax collector confessing his sin and its sinfulness and calling upon the Lord for salvation, for he can only be saved by grace and mercy. The confessing sinner or the commending arrogant self-righteous of themselves and in their self-exaltation. The grass withers, the flower fades The word of God abides forever by his grace and mercy. May his word be preached for you. Please be seated. While you're being seated, if you would also make sure your Bible is open to 1 John chapter 1. We have arrived at our 17th study in the Apostles' Creed that actually was going to be focused upon the last three statements when I originally laid it out. We have now arrived, brothers and sisters, may I say this as clearly and as pointedly as possible. We have arrived at what I believe is 
the heart and soul of the creed, of the Apostles' Creed, and the Gospel. It is the heart and soul summed up with three statements of Gospel blessings. Forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now, I was going to do those as one sermon, but I just couldn't bring myself to it. And there's a couple of reasons why. Can I give you one reason why? Because I think they all build on each other and need to be understood individually in order to be appreciated together. In other words, you won't have eternal life without a resurrected body. And you won't have a resurrected body to be joined to your perfected soul for everlasting life and life evermore without the forgiveness of sins. If there is no forgiveness of sins, there is no resurrection of a body to eternal life. There will be a resurrection of a body to eternal damnation. But there will not be a resurrection of the body to eternal life without the forgiveness of sins. This is the heart and soul of the gospel right here. This is the heart and soul, I believe, of the creed. I know we all have interesting points we want to be solved in the creed. But I think this is what amazes me. All of the essentials come together to make this threefold statement of gospel promises that are fulfilled and given to us as blessings in Jesus Christ. I propose to answer two questions this morning. I don't know whether you have these two questions or not, but I propose to answer them. So let me give them to you just in case you don't have them. Question number one, this glorious blessing of the forgiveness of sins. I call it, as I said, the heart and soul. The forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. But the heartbeat of the heart is forgiveness of sins. The pulse of the soul is forgiveness of sins. Yes, Yes, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of body, and life everlasting, that's heart and soul. But the pulse and the beat of the heart and the soul is in the forgiveness of sins. So question, why is this good news offer universally, infallibly, inevitably rejected? In fact, it is considered a scandal. In fact, those who bring the message are usually mocked, ridiculed, and scandalized. Why is the message a scandal, and why are those who bear it scandalized and even martyred? Why is that? I mean, if I told you I had for you a $20 million house and you can all have one, if all you got to do is come and ask me for it tomorrow, what would you do? My guess is you might show up. Of course, you might be wondering, how am I going to keep it up? But, but, you, uh, but you, you'll probably come and ask me for it. Here is the gift of eternal life. I go away to prepare a place for you so that where I am there, you may be with me also. And it is, uni- now listen to me carefully. I'm making a statement that I've got to prove. It is universally, infallibly, and inevitably, apart from divine intervention, rejected. Not only rejected, it's a scandal. And not only a scandal, they scandalize those who bear it. Why is that? Well, Pastor, what's your second question? My second question is, why is the forgiveness of sins in the third stanza that is devoted to the ministry and work product of the Holy Spirit? 
I mean, isn't it the Father that forgives sins? Why not put it up there? That God the Father forgives your sins. And isn't it Jesus who through his work sets the groundwork and the reason and the basis for our forgiveness? Why isn't it in the second stanza? Why is it in the third stanza? Why is it there as a part of the work of the Holy Spirit? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Why doesn't it say... Who forgives our sins. Why doesn't it show up in the second stanza? I believe in Jesus Christ. His only son our Lord. Then his humiliation. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Crucified. Dead. Buried. Body to the tomb. And his soul uh, descended to Hades. Then. Exaltation. The third day he arose. And then he what? He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Why doesn't it say forgiveness of sins there? Isn't it the Father that forgives? Isn't it the Son who accomplishes our forgiveness? Why here? I believe in the Holy Spirit. Work product number one. The Holy Spirit secures the elect of God. The Holy Catholic Church, the church, universal, holy, unmixed and pure, triumphant in heaven. Secondly, the church, the Holy Spirit works in and through the church visible and militant on earth that she celebrates the communion of the saints, sinners saved by grace in Christ. Then comes. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Resurrection of the body, life everlasting, and the foundation of those three is the forgiveness of sins. Why is it there? Well, look with me to answer those two questions. Would you start with me in First John chapter five? Would you? I mean, First John chapter one and verse five. Would you go there with me? And when you look at verse five, I want to walk you through this text. Now, if you study, I, one of the, my favorite discipleship book actually is, in fact, First John. I know a lot of people like to use the Gospel of John, and I have, and I commend that. But I love 1 John because it is devoted to speaking about how the Christian should live once you are in fellowship by salvation with God, the, the triune God. And the way he arranges the book to talk about the Christian life is he selects three attributes of God. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, in chapter 1, he speaks that God is light. In chapters 2 and 3, God is righteous. Chapters 4 and 5, God is love. And his whole point is, if you've been born again, and if you've been adopted into the family of God, and you have a vital saving relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then you will reflect those three attributes. And what does the life in Christ look like? If you belong to the God who is light, what does it look like? The God who is righteous. What does it look like? The God who is love here in this one. He focuses on God is light. And look with me in that opening verse, verse five. He says, this is the message we have heard from him, that we would be the apostles. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. Now, that's not all God is. He's righteous, he's love, he's uh, wise, he's gracious, he's merciful. There are multiple attributes of God. He is holy, 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 multiple attributes of God. But this is the one that he's bringing focus. 
What does it mean that God is light? Here's what it means. In him is no darkness at all. In other words, God's nature is to reveal himself. And when he reveals himself, he reveals everything else. It dispels darkness. The way to get rid of darkness is not to tell darkness to leave, but turn the light on. Darkness has to leave. And when God reveals himself, then God reveals to us who we are. And when God reveals himself and to us who we are, and we have a relationship with him, there are a number of things that he says to us about our fellowship with him. And so he goes into four four hypotheses, or you can even see them as rhetorical statements, whereby he's making a point with each one of them that if you have a relationship with God who is light, he's telling you some things that will be true to some measure in your life. Look at the first one in verse 6. If we say, there's your key phrase, you're going to hear that four times. If we say... That God, if we say that God, if we say we have fellowship with him, who's him? The God who is light. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, is he saying that every Christian is perfect? No. What he's talking about is your lifestyle. What he's talking about is your walk. Every Christian has sin living in them. But Christians don't live in sin. We are no longer under the dominion of sin. We've been born again. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Are we perfected yet? No, he's going to make that abundantly clear in just a moment. But right now, what he is saying is your walk Your fruit will determine your root. Your walk will determine and declare and reveal what you really believe and whose you really are. That's what it will do. Will it be perfect? No. But if we walk in darkness, that is, we find darkness and we exude darkness, then we're lying because we don't practice the truth. What do believers do? Imperfectly, fallibly, but intentionally, they want to obey the Lord. Why? Because they love him who first loved them. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is what we want. He's talking not about perfection, but practice. What is the practice of the individual? If I showed up, if I invited you to go with me to the dentist because you had an abscess and we went and I took you and we got out in front of a mechanics uh, uh, place and I said, let's go in. He's going to work on you. You say, wait, 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 wait here. It's my tooth. It's not my spark plugs. It's my tooth. Oh, don't worry. He can handle it. Come on in. Would you go in and let him work on your abscess? No. Why? Because you would look at his practice and determine this guy's a mechanic. He is not a dentist. The practice of our life reveals who is Lord and Savior in our life. Are we under the dominion of grace? Are we under the dominion of sin? Then he goes to a second one. The second one he goes to is this. If we, but if we walk in the light, 
as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. He says, you want to know one of the evidences that someone has a personal relationship with Christ? One of the evidences they have a personal relationship with Christ is they don't walk individually. They walk in the communion of the saints. They have fellowship with one another of like precious faith. There's one of the evidences. And then he says, number three, the third thing he brings up is this one. He says um, in the next verse, if we if we uh, if we and so if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. So we are personally right with the Lord. We're in communion with the saints. Now, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, he says, if you deny that you have sin, if you say that you have no sin, now you deceive yourself. So clearly he's not he, he by no means thinks a Christian is perfect. He wouldn't say this if he did. He says they walk in grace dealing with sin and they're free to deal with sin. Why? Folks, stop and think about this. Are you saved by your obedience or Christ's obedience? Christ's obedience. Are you saved by your perfection or his perfection? Christ's perfection. So now that you know the basis of your salvation is in his righteousness and his obedience, you are now free to own your disobedience. You don't have to hide it. You can confess it. That's where he goes to next. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, hang with me right here. In fact, let me go ahead and do the next one. If we say that we have not sinned, we're liars. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We're not only liars. We've declared him a liar because he sent his son to save us from what we don't have. We've declared him a liar and his word is not in us. My granddaddy has told me many things in my life that were very helpful. One of them was this. He said, son, he said, you're either you're a sinner and you're either going to fess up or you're going to cover up and cover up won't work. Why? Now, listen carefully, because you can't be forgiven if you don't confess. Who gets forgiven by Jesus? Those who confess their sin. That's why I read that tax gatherer for you. He confessed his ownership of sin. That's what confession says. I own my sin. I have sinned. Not only do you own your sin, you also own the sinfulness of sin. I am guilty of cosmic treason against a thrice holy God. I have stood on my own two feet that he gave to me to shake my fist and say to him, I will not have you to rule over me. It is not your glory. It is all about me. That's what I have done. We not only own the reality of sin, the ownership of our sin, but the sinfulness of sin. In other words... Have you ever heard people say this? 
some heinous crime. And somebody will stand on television and say, this was terrible. It was heinous. If there is a hell, then he's going there. Well, let me tell you what a Christian says. A Christian doesn't say, if there's a hell, he's going there. The Christian says, there is a hell. And I am headed there. And my only hope is that you will forgive me. It's not the Pharisee looking at the tax collector to send him while commending ourselves. It is the full ownership that I'm a sinner. Did y'all did you listen carefully to what we were doing just a minute ago? A while ago, when we were speaking, we did a confession of faith. How many have sinned and come short of the glory of God? All the wages of our sin is what? Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death, the lake of fire. And then comes the greatest word in the Bible. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How do I get that gift? There is only one way. You must confess your sins. You confess your sins and that you're a sinner in your conversion. And then you have the great blessing and freedom and joy of confessing your particular sins, particularly that mar your fellowship and your witness as you grow in sanctification and discipleship. That's why believers love to confess. But now listen to me. One more point. You can't confess your sins until you're convicted of your sins. And you can't be convicted of your sin with repentance until you believe and trust that the Lord will forgive you. Confession comes from faith and repentance. I hope you all are following me because I'm about to answer a question for you. Why? Why do people? Why? Do people all reject the gospel? Why do they do it? All, here's, here's, you know this, all are sinners and all reject the gospel. Why do they do that? Because it's a scandal. In the flesh, we don't want to be told we're sinners. I mean, even if somebody goes to EE and Bridge to Life and learns how to share, you're a sinner in the most winsome possible way. We don't want to be told we're a sinner. Nor do we want to be told we need a savior. Nor do we want to be told we can't save ourselves. We don't want to hear we're sinners in need of a savior. It's a scandal. It is offensive to tell me I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And it's even more that when you tell me I'm helpless and hopeless, I can't save myself. I got a preacher, he can save me. I got a priest, he can save me. The sacrament will save me. The ritual will save me. I'll, listen, I can, I can save myself. That's what we believe in the flesh. We're all sinners and we're all scandalized by the gospel message. Unless there is divine intervention. 
And who is the intervener? Now you know why forgiveness of sins is in the third stanza. The Holy Spirit. He gives us eyes to see. He gives us ears to hear. He works in our life so that our scandal is replaced by surrender. We're no longer scandalized. Now we surrender. And we are ready to surrender to him and confess, I'm a sinner. I'm not only a sinner, I I acknowledge the sinfulness of my sin. I sinned. This is sin. I see the sinfulness of it. God, I confess my sins. Is there any way to forgive me? Do you all realize how bold it is to ask for forgiveness of sins? Because what you're really asking when you ask for the forgiveness of sins is God. There I am under I am under your righteous judgment. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I have no hope. I am helpless. Is there any way that you can make a way for me to be saved and you still be glorious And just and holy. Is there any way? But friend, you're really saying more than that. Can I tell you what we're saying when we confess our sins? What we're really saying. Is God. I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I am under your judgment. I am headed for hell. And it is a righteous judgment. And I have no hope. Is there any way? What you're really ultimately asking. God, can you find someone to take that judgment of hell due to me? And can you place it on them? That's what we're really asking. And it's here. I give you God's answer with joy and with awe. He says, yes, I have made a way. It's my son. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And I have found someone who can take your place. And out of love, he has surrendered to take your place. My son, he will pay it so that you are forgiven of your sins. That is how the promise is there. You know, I find it very interesting. I had a guy come up to me one time and no, I'm sorry, reverse back in Charlotte. I went to this fellow, love him to death. He's now with Jesus, had the opportunity to do his funeral. And I'd see him come in uh, during the uh, right before the pastoral prayer, right before the sermon. And I went to him one day. I said, why do you come in late every Sunday? And he said, oh, Harry, look, I just missed the preliminary stuff. Uh, he said, I get here for the most important, the preaching. And he smiled at me <laughs> and I didn't smile back. I said, Gary, I'm not flattered by that. I'm sorry. I just said his name. didn't I? <laughs> I didn't say that. Did I say Sherry? No, I didn't know what I said. 
I said, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not flattered by that, my friend. I said, can I tell you one of the most glorious moments, heart and soul of the gospel, is when Bruce stands up here and says, let's prepare to worship by confessing our sins. We don't have to cover up. That's what my granddaddy told me. Son, you're either going to cover up or you're going to fess up. You're either going to cover up or fess up. And the gospel message gives you the freedom to fess up. Otherwise, you deny your sin and you cover up. Question, where's the first sin? This isn't hard. This is not hard. Who did the first sin in, uh, among humanity? No, you don't want to say it out loud. Adam, he did it. Adam sinned. Did God give him the opportunity to confess? Did you sin? That's a big opportunity. What did he do? He didn't fess up. He covered up. He tried three different ways to cover up. None of them worked because they never worked. First thing, see, as soon as you sin, what happens? When sin entered the garden, what came? Fear, I was afraid, shame, and guilt. And there's only one way to handle it. There's only one who can handle this, and that's God. But, they, but we'll always try to handle it. First thing he did was sow some leaves into loin coverings. I'll handle it that way. But when God showed up and he said, well, I didn't come because I was naked. You weren't naked. You had some loin covering. You had some breaches that you had sowed for yourself. But they didn't work. He still felt fear, shame, guilt. Then he's hid in the trees. We hide in the tree of religion. We hide in the tree of possessions. We hide in the tree of materialism. We hide in the trees of power and possession. That doesn't work. And then he... Hid in the trees of therapy. No, God, uh, listen. Uh, well, the loin coverings didn't work. The trees didn't work. But let me tell you, God, um, did you sin, Adam? No. Let me let me explain to you, God, what happened. I um, I went to a therapy session and I found out I have a dysfunctional wife. And by the way, I also have a dysfunctional religion because you're the one that set us up. The woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit, and I ate. So we want to blame it to someone else. I'm not, I'm not the violator. I'm the victim. And we deny, cover up. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart and you see there's a Savior whom you believe and he shows you the problem of sin and you believe him and he tells you what he did on the cross for you and you're convicted of your sin and you turn from your sin to trust him, then you come confessing, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what you do. And there's only one who can... Give you the desire to do that. I can't do it. I can't forgive you and I can't give you the desire to confess. The only one who can give you faith and repentance manifested in true, con- through con- true confession of the ownership of sin, the sinfulness of sin and the fact of sin and the, and the humbling of yourself before God. The only one that can do that is the God of glory himself by the Holy Spirit. That's why it's in this stanza.
A prostitute heard it and she believed. Pharisees heard it like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and they believed. Murderers heard it like David and Paul and Moses and they believed. Tax gatherers heard it and they believed. He's called to you today from this pulpit. He's called to you today. Do you believe him? And if you don't, please come and tell me what you're going to do with your fear, your guilt, your shame in this life, and what you're going to do about hell in the life to come. Pastor, you don't know my sins. Listen, here, I can, I don't. I confess I don't. I will tell you this. He can forgive you of any and all of your sins. And there is therefore now no condemnation. There's only one. That puts you in a position of no forgiveness. And that's when you say no to this Holy Spirit who is calling you to Christ. And you blaspheme him by rejecting the one he's calling you to. And the reason that's the unpardonable sin is because to do that sin of saying no to the Holy Spirit, you're saying no to Jesus. And he's the only one that can forgive you. I can't do it. Clerics can't do it. Priests can't do it. Sacraments can't do it. And you can't do it. I hear people say this all the time. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm just, you need to forgive yourself. Folks, I know what we're trying to say. Um, but don't, please don't say you need to forgive yourself. Let me tell you, you can forgive yourself when you can make an atonement for your sins. The only person that can forgive you is the one you sinned against. And the one who can provide an atonement. And that's God. If I sin against this member and this member and this member and my wife, I go to them to ask them to forgive me. But there's one thing I got in common in all of those sins. Every one of those sins was against God. And I got to go to him for forgiveness. And I'm going to the only one who can forgive me and atone for my sins. You can't atone for my sins, but he can it is inane to think you, here's what you're really saying. Can I say what we're really saying? You need to believe that when Jesus said he forgave you, you're really forgiven. It's not forgive yourself. It's believe Jesus who forgives you. And there's no condemnation if you confess your sins. That's what you're believing. I mean, if I walked up to one of you, this isn't going to happen. I'm, I'm too old for this to ever happen. Thank the Lord. And sanctification has at least proceeded to the point that this will never happen. But if you got said something to me and really ticked me off, and I came up on you and I just pummeled you down to the ground and broke jaws and nose and you're bleeding and, and gasping for breath and we called 911 and they, your pastor will not do this. Please don't even try to picture it. But I'm trying to get an illustration. And they come and take you to the intensive care unit. And I go home and I start feeling pretty bad about this thing. Well, I want to handle my shame and my guilt. I know what I'll do. The next morning I get up and look in the mirror and say, I want you to know I forgive you. That is so ridiculous. Let me tell you the only thing more ridiculous is for me to leave the mirror, get in my car and drive up to the intensive care and look at you trying to suck air and trying to live. And I look at you and say, listen, listen, I want you to know I forgave myself this morning. No, you go to the one you sinned against. Forgive me. And this one that you sinned against has made a way.
It's his son. And has found someone who could take your place. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus when you confess your sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. See that? Why, why can we say he's just? Here's what, when Jesus, when you confess and led by the Holy Spirit and the Father, and Jesus goes to the Father, he says, forgive Harry Reader. I paid for that sin. We call it, the, I call it the three R's. Remission. You know what remission is too? He has remitted our sin. When you remit something, you know, um, they send you a bill and what does the envelope tell you to do? Remit the payment. Take care of it. How do you remit it? You send it away to them. That's remission. Send away. About seven years ago, many of you remember, I had prostate cancer. Well, they won't make any declarations for six years. But this last year, they told me, you're fine. It's in remission. Some have. But many times a doctor will say this. A doctor will say, well, it's in remission now. But it may come back. Jesus has remitted your sins. You're in remission. And it won't come back. It will not come back. It cannot come back. They are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Or as we learned in Alliance Youth Fellowship, as we would sing, Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live eternally. Praise God, my sins are G-O-N-E. Gone. Gone. Done. They're not coming back. The theater of the Old Testament has now come to fulfillment. Remember the theater at Yom Kippur? The Lamb of God was slain to pay for the sins. And the scapegoat of God had the sins laid on him and took them away out of the camp. Jesus is the Lamb. Jesus is the scapegoat. Your sins have been remitted. And you have been redeemed. Redemption. He has bought you back. There's your second R. I've shared the illustration. Please, uh, I, don't, I don't have a better one. Some of you haven't heard it anyway. So I grew up in a home. We didn't have a lot. So when we had grocery store, we went to the A&P. That's the only place you went. That's the place all good Christians went. A&P. You went to the A&P. And the reason you went there is because they had this thing called green stamps. You buy something, they give you green stamps back, you take them home, you put them in a book, you get 700 books, you get a can opener. That was good stewardship for my mother. So she took me to the grocery store. Still remember it, A&P, Independence Boulevard. I went to the grocery store and I carried the bags out because mother's going to save 25 cents. We're not going to tip the bag boy. So she saved the 25 cents. I took them out. I brought them in. And then when I went in, people say, well, you helped your mother put them up, don't you? No, I did not. My mother wouldn't allow me to put them up because I would not put them in the right place. My mother, if y'all go look up OCD in the dictionary, I promise you, her picture is right there, right there. My mother put newspaper underneath the cuckoo clock just in case. That's the way we lived. This stuff we're going through right now, she'd love it. Why haven't we been living this way all along? I mean, she, that's hygiene, sanity, it's unbelievable. 
So what did I do? I sat at the dining room table. She brought all the rolls of green stamps, and I licked them by sheets, and I put them into the book. Closed up the book. We stacked them up, and that's what we would do. After I got married, I said to Cindy, we're going to the A&P. First week, we're married. We're going to get groceries. I said, we're going to A&P, right? She said, oh, yeah. I said, do you do green stamps? She said, oh, yeah, we've done that. I said, good, things are, you know, the face has changed, the woman's face has changed, but we're still in. So I just went right in. We went, brought home the groceries. I went, set the table. I took the steps and I started licking them. She said, aren't you going to help me? I said, I didn't think I was supposed to. Yeah, come on and help me. Well, what are you doing anyway? I said, I'm licking the stamps. She said, what? Are you, why are you licking the stamps? She said, here, honey. And she got this bowl out and she put water in it. She put a sponge in it and then she slid it across and wet it and put it in the book. I said, what are you doing? Why didn't my mother tell me about this? I have three tons of glue in my stomach right now. But then you take the books and you went to 428 Pecan Avenue. You put them on the counter. They took them off the counter. They went to the shelf and they gave you your can opener and you took it home. That's what Jesus at the cross. He sent your sins remission. He remitted them. He sent them away and he bought you. He put himself on the bar in the counter of God's justice. And he took you from the shelf of sin. To bring you home. Now where will you go to deal with fear and shame and guilt and hell? But to him. Because when he remits your sins and redeems you. You're reconciled to him for all eternity. That's the message we have. And every time we take it we know it's going to be a scandal. Unless the Holy Spirit goes before us. Just as the Holy Spirit went before you. Well let me give you this and we'll close in prayer. Here's the takeaway I would just share with you. Um, The takeaway would be simply this. The takeaway is forgiveness of sins by God the Father. See watch the Trinity in this. Forgiveness of sins by God the Father is assured. For any and all who come to Christ alone. How? By confessing their sins by faith and repentance. And all who come to Christ are brought to him by the relentless power and grace of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who has brought you to Jesus. The only unpardonable sin is to say no to him. Because that keeps you from the only one who assures you of pardon. And that is Jesus himself. So many have heard and believed as the Holy Spirit has called them. Will you come to him and put your trust in him alone? God, the father, made a way and found someone. It was his son. And the Holy Spirit is telling us. You need this Savior. You're a sinner. Come. And if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you don't come to Him, come and tell me what you're going to do about shame, guilt, and hell. Just come tell me. You say, Pastor, I want to come to him. Then come, I'm going to pray in a minute. You pray. 
If you want to talk to me, just let me know. My dear friend, I invite you, not to me, I can't forgive you. I invite you to him. He will forgive you. If you confess your sins, he will send them away. He'll redeem you. And you'll be reconciled to him for now and for all eternity. That's the blessing he promises. Don't you love the moment in Pilgrim's Progress? When he sees the cross and his burden rolled away. Remember where it went? It rolled away into the empty tomb. Our sins are carried and buried away from us. And don't you love the next statement? Anybody know what Pilgrim did next? He leaped three times for joy. People always ask me, what in the world did John Bunyan said he leapt for joy three times for? Well, I think he was just doing the doxology. Praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought me to Jesus, and Jesus brought me to the Father, and the Father has forgiven me. I'm right with God. I'm saved. I am redeemed. And there is nothing now but for me to rejoice and worship and bear witness of Him in this world till I go to be with Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. As you say, Pastor, I, I want to come to that Christ. I'll never forget the time that it struck me. I'd heard it and heard it and heard it, and the Holy Spirit gave me eyes to see and ears to hear. And oh, the joy of being able to leap to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by confessing. Just confess. No formula here. I'm a sinner. I abhor the sinfulness of my sin. I no longer want its shame, guilt, or death. I don't want its despair now and its judgment then. I want you. And I heard of Jesus, your son. The Spirit of God has brought me here today to you, Father, through Jesus. Forgive me. The sinner. Through Christ. And Father, may I ask you now for all who know Jesus, that we will bear the marks of those who have been forgiven. Humility, courage, worship, prayer, communion of the saints, and telling others of this Jesus. Knowing they will be scandalized. Unless the Holy Spirit does his work, but also know that the Holy Spirit uses what we say to do the work and bring them to himself. Father, that's what we ask today in Jesus name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, senior pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.